So it's November 9, 2011, Brisbane, Australia, and we are going to look at how to balance our material and spiritual life. What do you think? Will that be helpful? Okay. We were talking about doing different topics. Thought that this might be helpful. So good to see you. Start now, maybe you can come on, won't you? Just start. So the Shiva Prabhupada describes, and of course we all practically experience, that we have two sort of levels or kinds of activities. And this is a quote where Prabhupada says, we have one kind that's constitutional and one that's conditional. Right? Conditional has to do with our body and mind. So taking care of our body, following the laws. And then, there's direct Christian conscious activities. So what are direct Christian conscious activities? Chanting. Chanting. Hearing. Hearing. The nine processes, basically. Hearing, chanting, remembering, serving the Lord to speak. Those are the direct processes. Now, those spiritual or constitutional processes, they're on the level of the soul. And those activities, it doesn't matter whether you're old, young, Indian, Australian, Peruvian, Ghana, whatever you are, you know, male, female, genius, much less than genius, Healthy, not healthy, whatever. It doesn't matter. The bodily considerations have, have no relationship to the constitutional activities. And then you have conditional activities. Conditional activities have to do with the body. Conditional activities is what we have to do to keep our body healthy and also our activities according to our conditional nature. So then there's different activities if you're a man or woman, there's different activities if you're an Australian citizen or an American citizen, if you're married, if you're renunciated, if you're old, if you're young, if you've got talent in mathematics, if you've got talent in art. So then there's going to be different activities. And Robert writes, and in the conditioned state, sometimes emotional service and the, and the conditional service in relation to the body will be parallel but sometimes they become opposed. So you can see sometimes they're really working in parallel. Sometimes the activities that I'm doing on the, on the platform of the soul and the activities that I do on the platform of the body and the mind are just fitting together really nicely. And other times it seems that it's very difficult to do both of them well. It seems that, oh, I've got to sacrifice something spiritual in order to do my material activities, or I have to sacrifice something material to do my spiritual activities, and I, or I can't do really either of them very well. Hey, kids in the back, why don't you guys come to the front? Come on. Would you like to know how to be successful in the world and still be a devotee? Is that something you'd like to know how to do? Then come on up and join us. We even have adults cutting out pieces of paper up here, so 
You might as well come and join that. Yes. Well, this is for you guys too, you know. So do you kids just want to grow up and be a devotee and you can't do anything in the material world? You're just like a materially useless person. Is that what you want? No. Would you like to be materially really together and have no spiritual life? Would you like that? No. Wouldn't you like to be a good devotee and also be expert in the material world? Would you like to do both? No. You just want to be a good devotee? You don't care about like, knowing how to read? Go ahead and talk to your dad about this. <laughs> Actually, Prabhupada says that one of the qualities of a devotee is daksha. You know what a daksha means? Not just a man named Daksha in the Bhagavatam. But Daksha means you're really expert. And Prabhupada said that means that every devotee should know something of everything and everything of something. So that should be part of the Ramachari training and the Gurukul training to know something of everything and everything of something. Alright, so what we're going to go over today, now some of these words are going to be a little bit for your kids. What we're going to go over today is how we can make our material life and spiritual life work together. All right, well, first we're going to look at the problems. So we're trying to connect. Here we're trying to connect Krishna with the work we do in the world, with our family. We could have added some other years here. Our health, our hobbies, our interests, our entertainment, everything fitting together. So I basically looked at, and there may be more than this, but this is what I've looked at, three things that end up being problems. One is denying or neglecting our needs. Where in order to get my material things done, I neglect my spiritual needs. In order to get my spiritual things done, I neglect my material needs. We're going to be particularly looking here at neglecting our material needs. So somebody, you know, heard of you devoting, my family falls apart, my work falls apart, my school falls apart. Then the pressures, and this is really important, kids, because how many of you kids go out to the regular schools? How many of you kids go to regular schools? Okay, how many of you kids are homeschooled? Anybody being homeschooled? There's no regular, there's no devoted school here, so. If you go out to the regular schools, do people sometimes try to get you to eat things that you're not supposed to eat? No, never. Anybody else? Anybody ever like getting food that you're not supposed to eat? Never? It might happen sometimes. And when you get older, especially, there's all kinds of pressures at the workplace, at the university, and dealing with people, isn't it? To do things that are opposed to Krishna consciousness. And then the last thing we're going to look at is just lack of time. How do I schedule my time? How do I prioritize my time? Okay, before we look at those three individual problems, denial of means, pressures to do sinful things, and prioritizing the time, we're going to look at the gen a general overview. So, what we're going to aim for here is not exactly balancing material and spiritual life. The ultimate answer to how you balance material and spiritual life is you stop having any material life because you spiritualize everything. So your work, your family, your study, your health, your hobbies, all of them can become Krishna conscious. Alright. So the problem is I, I, I think this is material.
material and this is spiritual. Now, of course, we just read what Robert said that, that some activities are conditional and some are constitutional. And I may think, well, it, it's hard to connect with Krishna when I'm doing ordinary life activities. And it is hard. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's a lot easier to connect with Krishna and think about Krishna when you're walking around Radhakrishna. Or when you're having a morning program with other devotees in a beautiful temple which you didn't have here. But I mean, it, it is easier. You're in a beautiful temple building and there's all the paintings of Krishna and there's Tulsi Devi and there's Deities and there's the other devotees and everybody's chanting. It's easier. I mean, even then you can forget about Krishna, can't you? You can even be in a beautiful temple with other devotees and you can be thinking about all kinds of things. But it's easier. And it's certainly harder when you're in school on your work, when you're just home with your kids, to really focus on Krishna. All right, first thing, first problem we have in this material spiritual balance is denial or neglect of our own needs or the needs of our family members. So this comes from thinking, well, I'm supposed to be detached from material life, right? Is that what we hear? I'm supposed to be detached. Am I supposed to have any material attachments? And we interpret that to mean that I shouldn't have any natural feelings or caring for the other people in my life. Or I shouldn't do the material side of my life very well. And we see this over and over again. In fact, just recently, I was speaking to one devotee who does a lot of wonderful service and hardly ever has any time for her husband. And she's thinking, okay, well, I'm running this program, and I'm running that program, and I'm doing this service, and I'm doing that service, and her husband says to her, do I have a wife? And it works the other way, too. Sometimes the woman says, do I have a husband? Did I ever get married? I mean, Prabhupada talks about this with materialists. He gave the example of one materialistic family he knew in India, where the husband went to work before the child woke up in the morning. He came back after the child was in bed. And when the child was three years old, he saw his father and said, Mommy, who's that man? So we don't want to do that in the name of Christian consciousness either. And we find people not only neglecting their family members' needs, but often neglecting their own needs. I once talked to a devotee who, after 15 years, has stopped practicing Krishna consciousness, and he's not asked why. He said, I was constantly just doing what other people expected me to do in service, and I never had any time to develop my own self and my own interests. I was just constantly denying who I was in the name of service. So that can, it can happen with our health. We see sometimes devotees, they're not taking care of their health, and then all of a sudden their health breaks down. Right. In fact, I recently met a devotee like that. You know, always, I'm going to do this service and that service and this service. And then his body just said, no more. And his body basically collapsed. And he had to spend months and months and months and months only taking care of his mouth. You know, so what happens when we deny these things, the point is that eventually, because a need is something that you need, if you don't have it, there's a consequence. Eventually, these needs reassert themselves. Eventually, my own needs, the needs of my family members, the needs of my body, end up saying, hey, uh, I'm not going to go on until I'm taken care of. And they may come 
favorable. So this is a problem, you know, that we can think that renunciation and detachment means just shutting down, to stop feeling, to stop thinking. By the way, what group of people propose that the way to detachment is to stop everything? What do we call those people? Mayavadis or impersonalists. The impersonalists say the way to become purified is to stop everything. Stop your desires, stop your feelings, stop your thoughts, become empty. That's an impersonal path. The way the impersonalists think, so you have your, let's say you have your hands full of material attachments. Material attachments are like plastic pearls. You guys ever seen plastic pearls? They're not real pearls, they're just plastic. You ever seen white pearls? Yes. Let's say you have your hands full of these plastic pearls. So the impersonal idea is I take them all out until my hands is empty. And sometimes we may think, before I can be Christian conscious, I first have to have empty hands, and then I can fill it up with real pearls. That there is a process like that, it's called the yoga ladder, and it's described in the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita as something that's not recommended. That first you become an expert in Varnashram, then you do karma palatyaga, you give up the fruits of your work and practice karma yoga, then you practice jnana yoga and study the Upanishads, then you meditate on the Atma and become peaceful. And then you can fix your mind on Krishna. And Arjuna asks at the beginning of the 12th chapter, is, is that a good process? And Krishna says, eventually, after many, many births, you may become perfect doing things that way. But it's very risky and very difficult. So that's not our process. We are not recommending stopping desires. What we are recommending is purifying desires. So what our process looks more like, Prabhupada calls it gradually and proportionally, as our material desires decrease, our spiritual desires gradually and proportionally increase. So we start off with, with all material desires and a little bit of spiritual desires, and we bring those material desires down and we're bringing the spiritual desires up. So that's something like you have your hands full of these fake beads, and you take out a fake bead, and then you put in a real bead, and you take out a fake bead, and you put in a real bead, and you take out a fake bead, and you put in a real bead until eventually your hand is full of real pearls. How do you go, So nice to see you. And with your expansions. Lovely, lovely. So that is our process. And if we think that detachment, if we think that renunciation means to become empty, that is not the way of bhakti. That is the way of impersonalism. The impersonalistic path can lead to bhakti, but as Prabhupada said, it is not recommended at any time to go through that path. Very risky. And one of the risks that you have is of becoming hard-hearted. So we see that people who take it, we see many times, people in the Hare Krishna movement mistakenly think that they should be following this kind of impersonalistic path. And that's also surprising. Arjuna was confused. So if Arjuna was confused, what about the rest of us? So we shouldn't be upset with ourselves for having such a confusion. 
But the result of that is often one of two things. Either that we're so frustrated and empty that we go back to material life and say spiritual life doesn't work because I'm pretty sure said that that process is a very hard process. Or that we become hardened. That, that we harden our, our natural sentiments and our natural feeling. And so that, that's not favorable. And I see those two things happen. We harden our heart. That means we become often angry, offensive, frustrated, or we fall back into materialistic life. Have we seen this happen to people who try to practice Krishna consciousness? Maybe it's even happened to us. Okay, pressures for things that oppose the spiritual lifestyle. So the people we work with, uh, maybe some of us have family members who are not devotees, the other students, maybe some of us have bad habits in the past. So these things pressure us to do things that are opposed to spiritual life. You know, why don't you come and have a drink with us at the restaurant after work, or let's go watch this movie together, or something like that. And it's a natural tendency for us to want to please the people that we're associated with. It's a natural human tendency. We don't want to be seen as weird. And it's interesting, I had one Western body devotee recently tell me, oh, it's much easier for those who are ethnically Indian that they can go to work in school and just say, well, I'm a Hindu and this is my practices. But my own experience is that many times the Indians who live in the West feel even more pressure to fit in with the Western society than, than other people. I think we, we see this in, say, in the UK, and I think it's going on here too, where like the second generation of Indians, they're more degraded than the Britishers because they're trying so hard to fit in, they're, they're like overcompensating. I really want to prove that I'm, you know, just like all the Westerners, so they'll drink more and they'll have more of those etc., etc. So I think this is a problem for everybody. I don't, I don't think it's accurate to say, well, you know, the Western body people have it easier, the Indians have it easier. And I do think probably each of us, with our ethnic situation or our genders, face sort of our own flavors of this problem, but I believe that we all face this problem if we deal at all with materialistic people. Now, if we're not just staying in, a, in an ashram or just staying home with our family, this is the kind of pressure that we're going to be put on. Alright, then the other one we talked about was lack of time. Staying up late at night. I, I, you know, sometimes even devoting programs go late at night. Sometimes we practically sabotage our own members. <laughs> I don't know if I want to give too many details about this, but I was in one part of the world where there were a whole lot of devotees of a particular profession. I'm going to try to say this without being as, being as vague as I can, because otherwise you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There were a bunch of devotees of a particular profession, and I said, there's a really nice program in another part of the world where you could work with other devotees in your profession. Why are you working here? And they said, oh, we used to live there, we used to work there, but they expected us to put in, you know, morning, nights, weekends, holidays, everything, because we're devotees. And we never had any time to be with our family. We hardly had any time for our sadhana. So we'd rather work for the non-devotees. And I thought, that's really sad. 
you know, you think if you're working for a devoted company or a devoted business, you're working with other devotees, that those would be the first people who say to you, let's have a balanced life. Make sure you have time to, to nurture your family. Make sure you have time for really good sadhana. But no, the mood was, you're a devotee, you're supposed to be dedicated, you're supposed to give, you know, 510%. Forget about everything else. So late nights, I can't count how many times I've been to devotee programs that went so late that you just couldn't get up early in the morning. It was practically early in the morning by the time the program ended. <laughs> in one part of the world that I go to, the programs don't start until 9 o'clock at night. Whenever I'm there, I figure I'm going to bed at 9 in the morning every night. And then if you have to go to work or school early, there's a lot of people who have to leave to work at 6.30. You're getting to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning. There you are with the enlivening, visiting preacher who's telling you, chant good japa. And you're going to bed at 1 in the morning. You know, you're lucky if you can get up at 6 and take a quick shower. And where's your japa? On the train. <laughs>
you're at work or you're at school and it's stressful and you've had a hard time and you come home and you just want to relax and do something mindless. You know, you, you want to do something that just sort of doesn't require any energy, mm-hmm. You know, and hey, it's there. You've got the whatever satellite with 500 channels. And you put that all together and then there's so little time for a really focused spiritual life. You can't even jump on the train in between this and that and the other thing. Right? Not much time for a really high quality relationship with Krishna. It's like, okay, I just got my hands done. <laughs> right? I got rid of one verse today. Great, I got my Krishna consciousness in. And at the same time, you're really feeling, well, I'm really very satisfied with that. That wasn't what I became, but that wasn't what I took up Krishna consciousness for. I didn't take up Krishna consciousness to have it be some little ritual that I do out of obligation. I know one devotee who stopped chanting his rounds. I said, why? He said, it just became another thing to get done during the day. And I already felt like I had so many things to check off on my list to get done. So how sad is that? Especially if you come to spiritual life with the idea, wow, I'm going to realize God, and I'm going to transcend the modes of material nature, and experience unlimited ecstasy, and I'm going to find my real self, and now I'm going to end up being, okay, I've got to finish my rounds. <laughs> well, I'm going to squeeze it in between everything else. So that may be how we feel. All right. Now that I've gotten thoroughly depressed with all the problems, <laughs> now we're going to look at solutions. I should tell you that I'm not going to pretend in any way whatsoever that I can offer you all the magic solutions. This is an exploration. I should also tell you that I've done this, okay? I've been here seeing this done this. So I've, I've gone back, I went back to university, spent three years in, in graduate school while practicing Krishna consciousness. I ran, ran a Gurukula while raising my family. As part of my degree, I had to work for a year in government school, so I was, I was juggling my, my degree and my full-time job, but I had to go to 7 in the morning, and, and my son and, I, and everything. So I've actually done this. I'm not speaking to you yet. It was very interesting. Once I knew I had to do that job, when people started asking me this question, I said, wait until I've actually done it, and then I'll go back and, and, and put together something. Okay, this is our basic principle. This is our basic underlying principle. I hope you all know this verse. This is why we need a 424. This is the first thing should really make the essence of how you're going to deal with this conditional, constitutional juggling. And that is that if you're in the right consciousness and you're offering everything to Krishna, there is no material. It's all spiritual. So a person who's fully absorbed in Krishna consciousness, right, his full contribution to spiritual activities, where the consummation is absolute and that which is offered is of the same spiritual nature. Okay, and Sheila Kaplan in this purport talks about how when you use matter in Krishna service, that you convert the illusory consciousness into Brahma or the Supreme 
transcendental consciousness is sacrificed in that condition, the contributor, that's me, you, the contribution, what we're doing, the consumption, that's the result, everything becomes one in the absolute. And here Prabhupada gives another example going to twelve two. So the devotee does all kinds of things. Sometimes he hears, sometimes he reads books, sometimes he cooks for sale, he goes to the market, sometimes he walks, whatever he does. Prabhupada said such action is in full samadhi. That's what we want to come to. Right? So whatever you're doing, you're absorbing Krishna. as a picture to this. So you have a fire. You're cooking something, and your fire's hot, right? What happens when you put a, fire, a pot on top of the fire? What does the pot also become? Hot. Now, is the pot naturally hot? No. So you can think of the fire as our constitutional activities, our hearing, chanting, remembering, and the pot as our conditional activities. The activities I do because I have a material body and mind. But when I connect those things together, they both act spiritually. Okay, here's another really nice purple. Prabhupada's talking about a person in a factory. And he's talking about a person in a factory. This is 189. It says, a person working in Christian consciousness in a factory does not associate with the work of the factory, nor with the workers, he simply works for Krishna. And when he gives up the result for Krishna, he's acting transcendental. How do you do this? So you see this person in the middle, he has been seeing Krishna everywhere. So Krishna says, I'm the light of the sun. So whatever light we have in our office, in our home, in our school, wherever we are, what's that light of the sun? The light of the sun is? And you can meditate on how the light of the sun is Krishna. Meditate on light. When you want to greet people, you turn on the light. When you want to show someone your home, you turn on the light. You can have guests over, you turn on the light. When we have a big vessel, what do we use? Lights. We have fireworks, we light candles. Celebrations have to do with lights. So light has a lot to do with love, with warmth, with welcoming. As soon as you see light, you can think that light is Krishna. Easy way to be in Krishna consciousness in any circumstance. The light is Krishna. Oh, Krishna is light. And light means love and warmth and welcoming and celebration. Krishna says he's the heat in fire. So there's always some heat. If there was no heat, we would die very quickly. We need temperature. That's the next thing we need after air is temperature, proper temperature. Before we water, we can go a few days without water. Some people go up to about 10 days without water, but you can't go more than about 20 or 30 minutes without the proper temperature. So we all have heat. That heat is Krishna. The heat in our bodies is Krishna. What is heat? Again, warmth we associate with love, with life. You know, someone give you a cold look or a warm embrace. With nourishment, with cooking, with activity, all that is Krishna. You can be aware of the warmth in your own body, aware of the warmth in the room, whatever you're doing, and then you're aware that's Krishna. 
our ability, right? Maybe we don't have such abilities as this devotee here for under the moon. But we have some abilities. We have some memory. That's what you're getting the poem of Joe. We have some intelligence. Krishna says he's our intelligence. He's our ability. Whatever your job is, you're dealing with customer service at the bank or whatever you're doing. That ability to do it, that ability is Krishna. And you can meditate on that. My ability is Krishna. My intelligence is Krishna. And that way you become Krishna conscious. Right? The light of the moon. Krishna says it's the light of the moon. When you see the beautiful moon, you can think about how Krishna does his rasa dance in the light of the moon. How the moon is nourishing the vegetables. How the taste of everything we're eating. Right? The taste of everything we're eating is coming from the moon. It's coming from the fragrance of the earth. Krishna says the purifiers are in the wind. When we feel the breeze of seasons like flower-bearing spring. To take those verses from the Bhagavad Gita and meditate on them. You can take one a day or one a week. Okay. I'm going to meditate this week at my home, you know, while I'm changing my baby's nappies, while I'm washing the dishes, while I'm doing my mathematics homework, while I'm working at the bank, while I'm teaching at the yoga studio, while I'm driving my car. I'm going to meditate on how Krishna is the heating fire. I'm going to meditate on how Krishna is the light of the sun. I'm going to meditate on how Krishna is my intelligence. I'm going to meditate on how Krishna is my ability. I'm going to meditate on how Krishna is the life air. He's the prana breathing in and breathing out of my body. And, and gradually, that way, you can become Krishna conscious in any circumstance. Okay, I actually want to go back to this for a minute before we go here. So this is not just seeing Krishna in everything, but it's a consciousness then that everything I'm doing is Krishna's grace, and I'm doing my work to please Him. I'm dealing with my customers nicely. I'm taking care of my finances. I'm taking care of my child. I'm driving a car, so Krishna will be happy. Not so my customer will be happy, or so my child will be happy, or so my husband will be happy, or so my employer will be happy, but so Krishna will be happy. Now, if I understand that Krishna's given me this service, I'm going to do it better than a materialist does it. Because a materialistic person is thinking, okay, I'm doing all these things so my wife will be happy. But is your wife always happy? Can you guarantee your wife will be happy? If you get her a diamond bracelet and roses, will she definitely be happy? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe she'll say, you know, thanks very much, but you still have to fix the phone. Is there anything you can do always to make your husband happy? Is that right? Is there some formula? You cook his favorite meal and he's like, well, you know. He doesn't even notice anything. Sometimes he notices, sometimes he doesn't notice. You try to make your children happy. They're not always happy. Here, I got you the toy you wanted. Why do you want that one? I want the blue one. You work late at night for your employer and you know, he's still not satisfied. You didn't find a typo on the report and made him look whatever. And if we're working to try to make someone else happy in this world, then after a while we'll say, why bother with that? That's what we call fruit of action. I'm working to taste the fruit of my action. And if the fruit tastes bitter, then I say, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. So the difference between
between working for fruit of action and working as a sacrifice for Vishnu is when I work as a sacrifice for Vishnu, then I have steadfast determination in yoga that's not affected by success or failure material. I do my best to make my wife happy because that's what Krishna wants me to do. And I'm satisfied that Krishna's pleased with me even if sometimes she's happy and sometimes she's not happy. I do my best to do my job at work because Krishna wants me to do that. And whether my boss is always happy and my customers are always happy, my satisfaction comes from the fact that Krishna's happy. Alright, let's go on to our three... Oops, went backwards. Let's go on to our three problems. Here's the one of neglect. Thinking that in order to be Krishna conscious, I have to neglect the material. So here's the solution. I think that we remember that our actions are in Krishna consciousness. That everything I'm doing is for Krishna. My home is Krishna's. My family is Krishna's. Everything. That's such a nice quote from Bhakti Vinoda. Oh Lord, nothing further remains that may be called mine. Declaring that my wealth, family members, home and wife are truly yours. I continue as a mere servant to dutifully protect them. For the purpose of your service, I will earn money and bear the expense of maintaining your household. So this is how we avoid the problem of neglect. I see the Krishnas everywhere. I feel Krishna everywhere. I understand that even my conditional duties are given to me by Krishna to do for his pleasure. This is your house, this is your computer, this is your body, this is your mind. These other people I'm dealing with, that you're growing parcels and I'm doing this to please you. Then how can we be neglectful? We'll be less neglectful than the materialistic person who only does a good job as long as they're getting something for their own mental or physical sense gratification. I hear the instructions of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. He said, if you all adopt the renounced order, lose interest in dealing with pounds, shilling, and pence, who will take charge of maintaining your large family? Whether you're involved in material activities or become completely renounced to five brothers or all my eternal servants, birth after birth, who speaking to the sons of Bhagavad Lord. So, of course, Bhagavad did give some people, like Reverend Goswami, the instruction take up external renunciation. But the point is not whether you're externally renounced or whether you're externally not renounced. The point is whether or not you're dedicating your energy to Krishna. That's the point. And we need people working in all capacities. We need, we need scholars and teachers. We need people who are going to build a society, who are going to build communities in society to take care of people. We need people who are going to collect and redistribute wealth for the benefit of the devotees. We need people who are going to generate wealth. We need people who are going to engage in the arts and the skills. We need everybody. We need each of us with our particular talents. And to use those talents, Prabhupada said, everyone has an extraordinary talent, and to use that talent for Krishna means successful life. Actually, if Krishna's given us a talent and we don't use it for him, that's not proper renunciation. It's Krishna's. It's meant to be used for his glorification. Okay, this is rather a long quote. And this is from the Chaitanya Charitamrita Antipa 9, 141. 
Shilabhakti Sanjay Saraswati Thakur comments that one should always remember that he's eternally a servant of Krishna, whether one is engaged in material activity, involved in pastoral events, or is in an announced order. He should always think that he's an eternal servant of God, for that is the real position of the living being. Both taking sannyas and dealing with pounds, and pens are external affairs. In any condition, one should always consider how to please and satisfy Krishna. That is the Please don't think that you can only please and satisfy Krishna if you live in a temple ashram or you're a sannyasi or you're a brahmacharya. That's a bunch of nonsense. Bhagavad says those are both external. They're really both external. One is not more spiritual than the other. The question is, what's best for me at this time in my life? What's more suitable for my needs? What's more suitable for my nature? For me as an individual and at this particular time. This is one of my all-time favorite quotes from Shukrava. The secret of surrendering to Krishna is that such surrendered devotee sees that everything is part of Krishna's plan. Whatever is meant to be, I'm doing. Let me do it with my full attention to every detail. Let me become absorbed in such service. Never mind what it is. Let all other considerations be forgotten and only my desire to do the best for Krishna's own pleasure is my motive. Never mind what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Krishna does not see materially. Krishna does not see that one service is more valuable than another. Prabhupada would say, bathing deities, cleaning the floor, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, who would have guessed that Jayananda Prabhu, who was taking out the garbage, was one of the most elevated devotees in the Hare Krishna movement? You know that story when a guest came to the temple and was talking to Jayananda, and he was helping Jayananda take out the rubbish. And he decided to become a devotee. He said, if your garbage collectors are so wonderful, just imagine they're young genesis. I mean, we've seen people with big, big positions and titles actually reveal that they weren't so Krishna conscious. And we've seen the persons taking out the garbage to reveal that they are Krishna conscious. Your Krishna consciousness, or lack of it, is not dependent on what you're doing externally. It just isn't. It's dependent on how much you're offering everything sincerely to Krishna and being conscious of it. Okay, now we're going to look at the problem of people trying to influence us to do sinful activities. So a solution to this, one solution, is get the real taste. Get the real thing. Here we're looking at the perversion of material losses and genuine spiritual losses. You know, we're not going to be attracted to enjoying the false things if we've got the real thing. People only take intoxication when they're unhappy. If you're naturally happy, you don't need intoxication. We go out singing on the street, and you don't need to get intoxicated first. People say, you guys all drunk? No, we don't take intoxication. So getting the real taste means getting deep into your Krishna consciousness. This means chanting my Krishna with attention. Kirtan or Japa, even if you're just reading one verse a day, going deep, relishing. Krishna says in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, to relish and rejoice in the self. My dear friends, humility does not mean hating yourself. Krishna says to relish and rejoice in the self. Not to rejoice in our nonsense material attachments to the self, but our real self. We're part of Krishna. Mama Kamsa Jivaloke, Jiva Bhutta Sathana. To find the joy in spiritual life. Srila Prabhupada wrote to Jadarani, if you're not joyful, you can't dance. So to really find real joy. And Prabhupada talks about three kinds of 
but do something that's as free from sin as possible that you really enjoy. And trust that Krishna is going to maintain you. From Dharma comes Arta. Do your Dharma and you will get Arta. Do your duty you will get taken care of. And we're all going to get taken care of according to our destined standard of living. If you work harder, we'll get to this. We'll get to it. So I'll just... Okay. Alright, let's do the schedule. So, Prabhupada says, you must find some time for hearing Bhagavatam. Don't get in a rat race. <laughs> Don't work like a dog. This is also the same principle. We are going to get the standard of living that we are destined to get. Prabhupada says, once you work eight hours at the most to earn his livelihood. You know what happens when you work a lot of hours to make a lot of money? You don't even have the time or energy to enjoy it. So your actual enjoyment isn't any higher. Does that make sense? So if I work, if I work eight hours and I earn less cash, but then I have more time for, for chanting and hearing and leaving other time, being with my family and playing with my children, getting to know my children. <laughs> I have one devotee who owns three properties. I was working 80 hours a week. I said, what are you doing this for, Guru? He said, for my children. I said, do you even know where your children are? So what's predestined is not our cash. What's predestined is our standard of living. If you artificially earn more cash than, than you're destined to enjoy, you won't be able to enjoy it. Or you'll get some expenses that will drain your cash. Christians can give us money in many ways and we can take away money in many ways if you ever notice that. I knew one devotee who made a lot of money and he was always poor. Do you know people like that? Couldn't get it. He was always poor. How much do you make? 2,000 a week. That's a lot. How come he never had any money? Because he wasn't destined to have a high standard of living. And something was always draining the money away. Oh, my mother-in-law needs this medical care, or this, or that, or the other thing. Interesting. So, part of this is trusting. Part of this is trusting that if I have a sane way of earning a living, I will get what I'm destined to get. Okay, you might say, well, then I'll have to live in a smaller house and this, and I won't be able to buy a new sofa, and I won't have That's true, but you know what? You're not going to have any less pleasure than you're destined to have. So if you work the 80 hours a week, maybe you'll have a fancy sofa, maybe you'll have a big screen TV, but your pleasure in life will not be any greater. What you'll gain on one hand, you'll lose some business. When he was a householder, he would chant 16, 16 rounds in four elements during the day instead of all at once. You know, sometimes, how do I say this? Sometimes we have people preaching about and giving examples about practicing Christian consciousness who never lived out in the world. And I've heard people say things like, you must channel your 16 rounds at one time. And I'm thinking, well, they were never a mother with a young child. You know, that's not the practical reality for most people, is it? That I 
can just sit down in one place and chant 16 hours at a time without moving. If you can do that, that's very nice. But that isn't actually the standard of what makes Japa good Japa. And Shri Prabhupada himself is a householder to the channel. Okay, as far as scheduling priorities, you can't necessarily take someone else's solution and just stick it on your life. So if someone says, okay, this is how I have big sadhana, this is how I really have time for sweet, joyful, focused Krishna consciousness, it may not work for you. You may have to make another adjustment. Then this idea of prioritizing is really important. Before, before the email days, I used to have a physical in-basket. You all know what that is, right? Maybe some of you don't even know what that is anymore. But it was, it was a piece of plastic that I would put in the things I needed to do. And every once in a while, I'd go over the whole basket. And then I'd always find things that had expired. And then I just threw away, and I never did. And you know what? Like that, finally, every time I went to the whole basket, there was something that the time to do it had gone. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just never got to it. Just put it in the rubbish bin. Somehow everything went on. We're very small. We can't do everything. We don't have to do everything. Isn't that a relief? <laughs> I don't have to do everything. I can't anyway. Why do I think I'm so important anyway? The whole world is resting on me. If I don't do this, 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 and this, you know what, friends? We're going to die, and the world's going to come on. Isn't that interesting? Even the people who really depend on us, how long do you think it's going to take them before they figure out how to go on with their lives without us? Maybe if we're really a big shot, there'll be an article on Dundalabs.com. Maybe if we're really a big shot, there'll be an article, you know, on BBC or the New York Times. And then most people are just going to go on with their lives within an hour. There'll be some little memorial service among the devotees, and people will talk, and not be an excuse to take Rashad and on social media. And a few people will cry. Do it just to be with you. And then look at the rest of our life. What's really important? 
What do I have to do for work? What do I have to do for my kids? Do I have to do everything? Do my kids have to have music lessons and art lessons and dancing lessons and martial arts lessons and acrobatic lessons? Do they really need all that? Now, do I really need to have a job where they expect me to work 70 hours a week? Whatever it is, it's sitting on here. Do I really need to cook a meal for my family every day that's as if they went to the most high-class restaurant in town? You know, do I have to have five kinds of sabji and puris and parathas and pakoras and three kinds of cake? Do I really have to clean every single tiny ledge in my house every single day? Whatever it is. You know, make, make your priorities. Make your Christian what's most important. And decide what, what things am I going to do to a super high level of quality? What things am I going to do to a medium level of quality? What things am I going to just make sure they're done? Because you know, dear friends, we cannot possibly do everything to the highest level of quality. We just can't. Unless we only do two or three things a day. You've got to decide. These are the things I'm going to do really, really well. These are the things I'm going to do moderately well. These are the things I'm going to just do, and these are the things I'm not going to do. Does that make sense? And then you can not be guilty also when you're having us. Then do everything perfectly. What does everything perfectly mean? I'm doing everything for Krishna to the best of my ability with the time, energy, and resources that I have. And I'm intelligently allocating my most important resource, which is energy. And I should say also about time management, it's not time. It's energy. It's not time, it's energy. All of us have time to chant 16 good rounds every day. I guarantee you. But we may be doing things that are taking up energy. It's not time. It's how you create. We have a certain amount of energy every day. What do I give it? Otherwise, you'll have time that's just sort of downtime. You have a chunk of time, you really don't do anything. Because you have to sort of recoup. And be, be very creative as to how you manage your time and your priorities. Again, don't just take someone else's solution. Try different things. And use whatever solution enlightens you the most spiritually. Please don't take a solution to time and energy management that is someone else's solution but leaves you feeling depressed and discouraged. Find a solution for you that you are happy, that you feel enlightened, that you feel joyful, that you feel good. If that means having a program in the evening, do that. If it means having things at different times of day, do that. It doesn't happen. Don't, please don't take I get questions from devotees all the time. What's the best way to study? What's the best, as if there's one way for everybody. As if there's some cookie-cutter solution there. Do you know how individual we are? Even our bodies are individual. That's not even me. I mean, Krishna is such an individualist. He says, like, this real individual variety man. Every snowflake is different. Why do you have to do that? Who cares if every snowflake is different? I mean, would it matter to us if every snowflake was the same? But Krishna is so much interested in variety that every snowflake is different. 
Everyone's fingerprint is different. Everyone's DNA is different. Well, guess what? Our personalities are also different. Our situations are different. Our likes and dislikes are different. And when we become spiritually pure, guess what? Our likes and dislikes are going to be different too. They'll, they'll be different from what our material likes and dislikes are, but they'll also be different from each other. And we're all with Christian below over in God and his counter boys and counter girls, and we're going to like different clothes and different food and different things. Krishna consciousness is very individual. Find an individual solution for you. Find a solution where you feel happy. Don't find a solution of just this is what I should do. This is, this is what I'm supposed to do. I was talking to one devotee who said, you know, I'm not supposed to read Prabhupada's books, but I just I just don't enjoy reading Bhagavad Gita Shrimad Bhagavatam. I said, what book do you enjoy? She says, Nectar Devotion. I love Nectar Devotion, but I think I'm not supposed to read it until I've read Bhagavad Gita Bhagavatam. I said, so how much reading do you do? Nothing. <laughs> I said, well, it'll be a lot better to read Nectar Devotion than read nothing. So, you know, do, do what's going to inspire you. Maybe it's going to inspire you to sit down and sing songs with anyone. Sing some bhajans. So find a, a schedule and a service that you feel, yes, I want to connect more with Krishna. Okay, so we just want to summarize. Right? Connecting with Krishna, taking care of neglect, taking care of bad association, taking care of time and energy priorities. So dedicate everything to Krishna. Give the fruits to Krishna. Work for Krishna's pleasure every moment. Don't just work for some result which we can't control, right now, dedicate now to Krishna, now to Krishna, now to Krishna. See Krishna in his material energies, he describes the idea, and remember Krishna in all circumstances. As far as dealing with neglect, see that everything belongs to Krishna. Take care of our material things as Krishna's service, and do those things with great attention. It doesn't mean that everything's done to a perfect material level, but that means everything's done with attention and care. To deal with bad influence, to have a higher taste, to have devoted friends, to really do things you enjoy in Krishna's service, have recreation in Krishna's service, use whatever resources you can to avoid simple things, and have faith that if I have an occupation without sin, I can maintain myself. As far as time and energy, don't look more than eight hours a day on your living, have priorities, be creative, find solutions that work for you, and be willing to change as your life and situation Okay, so here we have some wonderful examples. Right, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the magistrate and the householder, and Srila Prabhupada, who's a householder and renunciate. And such acharyas, they give us our roadmap for how to balance our spiritual and material life so that everything becomes more such a transcendence. Thank you. So we can take just a few minutes for questions, discussions, objections. We have the man with the mic.
careful because you know you're dedicating to Krishna, but you, part of your dedicating to Krishna is what you're doing with your life as a whole. What, what Krishna wants to see is that you become that you become a, his, you fall in love with him. Not just that you're working hard. I mean, in fact, just working hard for Krishna without falling in love with him is a lower platform. That's why we need a 12.10. So, Krishna's talking about being balanced and eating, sleeping, working, and recreation. The way I look at it also is, so a man works for his wife. But the woman doesn't just want a man who works. She wants a man who's going to be with her too. You know, if you say to your wife, okay, yeah, I know I never see you, but look at all the money I'm giving you, look at the house I'm giving you. She's going to say, well, that's nice, but I want you. I want to spend some time with you. You know, if you had parents who worked hard, they provided you with a really good school and nice clothes and the latest gadgets, but they never spent any time with you, what would be the use of that? So our personal sadhana, that's our time with Krishna. Our japa, our kirtan, our reading bhagavatam, that's our time just being with Krishna. And that's, that's actually the highest service. I mean, of course, we're being with Krishna when we work for him also. But it's nice to spend time just being with Krishna. When we're, we're not distracted by all the things we have to do for Krishna. When we're chanting Japa, we shouldn't be meditating. Okay, I gotta go to the bank at two and I gotta do this and that. We should just be with him. I was, I was very fortunate that my father, who was a CEO of an international company, and a very busy man, from the time I was two until I went to university when I was 17, he would spend two hours every morning with me. About 5 30 in the morning until I went to school. Just be with me. My mother didn't do that. She would stay up late and wake up late. But my father would get up, he'd make my breakfast. I mean, it wasn't that he cooked. But he would, you know, make some toast or always make fresh orange juice. We had this orange juice squeezer. And he'd set up my cereal or whatever. When I was little, he'd play games with me, he'd tell me stories. And because my father did that, he purchased me. I would never have been able to join the Hare Krishna movement if my father had not approved. You know, my mother didn't have that kind of influence on me. And, and how did my father have that influence on me? Because he gave me his time just to be with me. He was a busy man. He had a lot of responsibilities. He, had, he was president of the Hare Krishna Temple when he was president of our temple. He was the temple president, he was the CIO, CEO of an international organization. So many responsibilities. But he spent two hours every day just being with me. And that was the evidence to me that he loved me. So that's, we've got to make time just to be with Krishna. And then we have other responsibilities, probably, most of us, if we have family, we're supposed to take care of them. If you have a wife, you're supposed to make it. What is saying about the term? One is supposed to protect one's, one's wife like one's wealth. So the wife should always remain embraced by the husband. Not obviously, literally. 
But the, the woman should feel that I'm cared for, that I'm cherished, that I'm loved. And how are you going to do that if you're going to spend any time with her? If you have children, then you've got to also spend time with them. You can't always be running off here and there and the other place. Otherwise, you know, we've had so many children who ended up being resentful about Krishna consciousness because they saw that Krishna consciousness was their excuse for their being neglected. Now, if you don't have any other responsibilities, if you're a renunciate, you don't have any family responsibilities, you don't have any other, you know, anything going on, then you may put in more hours than that. But frankly, even most of the renunciates, you know, if you're putting in a full morning, if you're doing a full morning program as a monk, you know, as a renounced person, from 4.30 to 9.30 or 10 in the morning, and then if you're also going to do your own individual additional reading and additional studying, then how much of the day is left for your work? Not much more than eight hours. Even though your work is directly for Krishna. And Does that make sense? I, I think it would be a very rare circumstance where you could genuinely take care of all the responsibilities Krishna's asking you to do and work a lot more than eight hours. It might happen sometimes, but it should be an emergency. And emergencies should be very time bound. I mean, if you want to be in Christian consciousness for the long run, if you, if you really want to have spiritual life as, as a lifetime dedication, and if you really want to achieve perfection in this life, you know, that's, that's a personal choice we have to make. But we should recognize that that is my personal choice and not blame our circumstances. Well, I can't become Christian conscious in this life because I have to work 70 hours a week. Or I have to do this. And I Yes, it's like that. 
It's, it's the, the woman is enjoined to be very affectionate to the husband, to the relatives of the husband. The man is enjoined to cherish the wife and protect the wife with great affection. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to be satisfied and you're going to find renunciation later and be very difficult. That then you're, you're not seeing the whole purpose of married life. The purpose of married life, the prophet says, is to make the mind peaceful. The way I look at it is, uh, I remember when my oldest son, John, was 10 years, my grandson, his, his father was about a year and a half sitting on my lap when we were in Prabhupada's room. And there were a lot of other devotees there. So my child started creating a little bit of a disturbance. He was one and a half year old. And there were some lagoons there. So I started feeding the lagoons to keep them quiet. Now, you don't train your child in proper behavior by stuffing them with sweets. But sometimes if you want to pay attention to a lecture, you might want to just do something to keep them quiet. So family life is not, in and of itself, does not bring you to spirituality. Otherwise, everybody who got married would become a saint. So that, it's not that, oh, if I just have a nice married life, then I'm going to become Krishna conscious. No, but married life is it's like giving sweets to the mind. So that the mind is quiet and you can concentrate on your spiritual life. But you've got to give the sweets to the mind. You, you can't just say, I'm going to be married and not give the sweets to that. It doesn't make any sense. Then don't get married. Do something else. You're going to do something to do it. In another, and I don't want to go on too much longer, but the time's getting late. Another way to think about this is that every ashram, let's look just right now at the ashrams, not the dharmas, every ashram has its pleasures for which one is supposed to pay the requisite yagya. This is third chapter by the Gita, real simple stuff. Whatever you want to enjoy, you're supposed to pay for the sacrifice. So people who are sinful, people who are vikarmis, they want to get pleasure by stealing. People who are materialists or karmis who are engaged in karma conduct, they pay the sacrifice just like an honest citizen pays their taxes. But they don't really care about the role of sacrifice. They're just paying their sacrifice in order to enjoy legitimately. Then higher than that is karma yoga, where one is actually not trying to enjoy the fruits, but one is engaging in this in that activity to please Krishna. The fruit they're looking for is Krishna's pleasure rather than their own sense of gratification. But they're still, they're getting the fruits back as prasana. So they're offering the activity to Krishna as a sacrifice and then enjoying the fruits as prasana, but the mood has become more of a relationship. So first the person's interested in the fruits and they're trying to steal them. Then they're interested in the fruits they know they have to pay for them. Then they're interested in the fruits they know they have to pay for them. And they start becoming more interested in the relationship between the person they're paying and the fruits. Gradually that evolves to being just interested in the relationship and not caring about the fruits. And pretty soon that becomes just being interested in the person, Christian, with whom you're having the relationship. But in all these cases, we're admitting this is what I want to enjoy and this is what I have to pay for. So there's pleasure in the life of renunciation. You know what the main pleasure is in the, in the renounced ashrams? 
think doing Aristotle just means that there's no enjoyment. There's, there's enjoyment in Aristotle. Very strong enjoyment. Do you know what it is? Hmm? I'm sorry? Uh, Non-entangled. Yes, freedom. The pleasure of the renounced ashram is primarily freedom. But you have to pay a sacrifice for that. What's your sacrifice? You don't have personal money. You have very few personal possessions. Right? You have to pay a price. You don't have even an emotional relationship with the, with the member of the opposite, romantic emotional relationship with the member of the opposite sex. That's your price. You're willing to pay that price, you can enjoy that pleasure. Then there's pleasures of the Granasana. You have the emotional and physical enjoyment of the opposite sex, you have your own money. What's the main pleasures there? Control, independence. Also, in the Ramasta Ashram is the only Ashram, really, where you can gauge all your psychophysical propensities. Because it's in the Ramasta Ashram, primarily, that you engage in Nirvana. If you're as an enunciate, there's a limited amount of things you can do, even in Krishna's service. But as a householder, there's so many things you can do in Krishna's service that you can do to earn your livelihood. What's the price you have to pay? The price for enjoying the opposite sex is that tolerate the opposite sex. <laughs> the price for having your own money is you've got to spend it wisely because your service you have to give a charity. The price for engaging in your psychophysical nature is that you have to use that efficient service and so forth. So modern society that we are in, a modern Western society, is a society of economies. There's a society of thieves. The modern mentality is take the pleasure and don't pay the So in modern society, single life, have the freedom of single life, but you don't do any of the activities of single life. You keep a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You just don't take any responsibility for them. You still have a house, and you still have possessions, and you have a bank, you have all, the, all those things. Right? And we find that people in household life also, they try to take the pleasure without paying for it. They're using birth control, they're having abortion. So this mentality of let me take the pleasure without paying for it, or you could also say let me, let me take the pleasure of renounced life and the pleasure of renounced life, let me have both of them, and let me pay the price for neither. This mentality affects us in the right Christian movement. We are affected by the mentality of the general society in which we live. First of all, this is a preaching movement, so the majority of us have come from that society. The majority of us have not been born into Christian consciousness. So we already have those impressions. Then most of us, almost all of us, are interacting with the outside society in some way, at school, at work, or as preachers. We're affected by it. We are. And then we think that's Christian consciousness. We think Christian consciousness means I'm going to stay at Rabbi as long as possible, which is not at all vague, by the way. There's no vague standard to stay at Rabbi as long as possible. The vague standard is if you're going to get married, do it young, and get it done, so you can announce when you're 50, 60 years old. That's vague standard. 
So I'm going to stay brahmachari as long as possible, and I'm going to stay brahmachari even when I have a job, and even when I have money, even when I'm flirting with members of the opposite sex. And then that mentality influences our grahasta life. We're saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have the pleasures of grahasta life, but I'm going to keep those pleasures of the renounced ashram. So I'm not going to have a, you know, a, a, an honest means of livelihood. I'm not going to take, I'm going to enjoy that I have a husband or a wife, but I'm not going to actually take care of her. I'm not going to deal with her. Now this is coming from the Vikarma mentality. So instead of doing that, say honestly, what do I want to do now? And it will change. For most of us, we're not going to want to be the rustas our whole life. We will come to a point where we become the rustas. So you be honest. What, what do I need right now? What, what's the sweet that I need right now to keep my mind peaceful so I can focus on Krishna? And then let me do the proper sacrifice for it. Not as a, as a materialist, but let me do the proper sacrifice for Krishna, who I fall in love with. If I'm going to be a Brahmasta, be a Brahmasta. If I'm going to be a Ramasi, be a Ramasi. Don't try to mix them. Whatever you're going to do, be authentic. And then guess what? The system Krishna gave us, Brahmasai, Brahmasta, Brahmasta, Sanyasa, works really well. And for most people, that's a system. For most people, we don't just immediately become a Ramasi. It doesn't work very well. We've seen that the majority of people who try to do that fell on the face. It's a very scientific system. So that by the time you get older and your children are grown up and your home is paid for, you're satisfied. But then if your mind says, I want this, I want that, you say, okay, I've seen that done. You don't hate it. It's not that you look back at your muscle like that. Why do you think that 
being Christian conscious means that I have to treat other people miserably. And then on top of that, if my family are devoted members and I don't treat them nicely, I may be committing by Shema Bhagavad. And I may be just an offending Christian. Christian said, here's this nice husband to take care of. Now I felt it. walk away from the situation. That's but that's an exception. And Christian consciousness does not mean being cold-hearted. It doesn't mean being nasty. It's just very strange ways of thinking. So I can say this because I also thought that way. And, and I damaged myself and I damaged other people. I'm, I'm speaking from bitter experience. Not just what I've seen in other people, but mistakes that I also For which I have a lot of regret. And, and, and I mourn that in the name of Christian consciousness that I did things that were harder. So please don't make that mistake. Yes. Was that enough? I mean, I could speak, obviously, you could speak for a few weeks on this. It was sufficient. It was a philosophical mature response. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was through the fire of ordeal, but I was able to get that. Just in relation to that, um, I mean, human being a social animal, and we get a lot of our cues about what we should and shouldn't do by looking into the faces of the other people around us and seeing how they're reacting to what we do, which is why association is so powerful. Um, so I mean, one of the things that happens to us when we become devotees is that people do become disturbed by what we're doing because to them, what we're doing is unnatural. Um, you know, like our parents or our friends might say, hey, look, you just don't seem to care about any of the things that we care about anymore. You're kind of... So in, in a sense, in order to even go through that change, you have to kind of harden your heart to a certain degree in terms of how you react to what other people, if you know what I mean, how yes. other people react to what you do. Yes. So, and then even when you get into the association of devotees, I've seen lots of times you can be like, well, these devotees are not so strict, so I therefore have to, you know... Okay, well, I'm going to throw this back at you. Yeah. How can I cease being influenced by the unwanted association of family members and friends? And how could I choose my association carefully without hardening my heart? Because if you say that in order to do that, I have to harden my heart, there's no other way to do it except by hardening my heart, then I wonder, are we saying the process of Christian consciousness is not valid? Because I don't see anywhere in the Shastra where it says that hardening your heart at any stage for any reason is ever necessary, and it's certainly not desirable, because the entire process of bhakti is that of softening the heart. That's at least how Rupa Goswami describes it in the Rupa Nudas, and I'm going to assume that he knows what he's talking about. Now, of course, again, I really do it, okay? So I did all that, and I'm sure to some extent I'm still doing it. So I made that mistake, that I had to harden my heart to my mother, my old friends and things like that. Is there, is there any other way? I, I believe, at this point, I believe there are many other ways. And there are ways, and mostly I see it as the way of humility. And just saying, 
you know, these are, these are Krishna's part and parcels. They're, they're ultimately Krishna's devotees to Yaris Prabhupada and Terry Krishnadasa. But I am not capable of associating this particular person and keeping my statements in Krishna consciousness. And turning that, turning that natural social, it's not just that humans are social, but souls are social. The spiritual world is a very social place. Even the houses are alive and the roads are alive and everything's alive. So turning that natural tendency to want to fit in and please others, to want to fit in and please Krishna and his devotees. And then there's no hardening of the heart at all. You know, sometimes you see, especially in the West, that when a young boy and a young girl are in love, they don't care what anybody thinks about them. They just care what they think about each other. And that's what the ghost will say, is they just like a young boy and a young girl are naturally attracted to each other. Let me be attracted like that to Krishna. It's not that they harden their heart to anybody. They're just so madly in love with each other that the world is that the opinions of the world are inconsequential. So it's like that. If, if we really try to fall in love with Krishna, and we really care what Krishna thinks about us, we still love our non-devoted family members. We love the devotees who are not so strict. We love everybody. But the opinions of people who aren't encouraging us to love with Krishna, it's just, you know, we're just as Krishna. We don't even notice them back then. So there is a loving way. There is a way either to say, I'm just not advanced enough to deal with that. If I were an advanced ability, I could deal with those people who want me affected, but I'm not so advanced. So for my personal protection, I have to be with other people. But there's no hatred and there's no hardening. Or on my own platform, there's Krishna. There's Krishna who let the world go wherever the world's going to go. What I care is this Krishna please with me. That's what I'm looking for. Is that all right? Okay, I think we have some snacks. Yeah. I want to thank you very much. I hope that this was helpful for everybody. And please see. Please take care of the question.